holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. Usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt again that's rfb.nyc slash nbt oh man that was exhausting wasn't it it was for me i'm sure it was for you too so that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. Oh, my dear sweet Lord in heaven. I just downed a ginger shot, what I thought was a normal ginger shot, that I got across the street at Brooklyn's Natural. Whoa! <sighs> my mouth is on fire for Jesus. Help me, somebody... Okay, well, hello there, and thanks for listening on Radio Free Brooklyn. Folks, last week, my guest was Dan Zimmerman, the managing editor of thetruthaboutguns.com. Now, if you listen to that conversation, you know, I knew that we were going to approach the subject of guns with different viewpoints. That was not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination, but my goal was to find some common ground. But it's felt like whenever we went from subject to subject, we just couldn't agree on, on the basic facts. And I was very thrown off by that. I mean, look, if you come in here and sit down and I tell you my favorite color is blue and you tell me your favorite color is red, we can sit here and have a debate about which color is better, why you like red, why I like blue, why I think blue is better, and so on. We can debate that. Obviously, it's very subjective. But if I, if you come in here and I say my favorite color is blue, and you say your favorite color is sweater, huh? how are we going to debate? How are we going to have a fucking debate about colors 
if I'm arguing for blue and you're arguing for sweater? Can't do it. We have to agree on what colors are. And it just felt like that wasn't happening with my talk with Dan Zimmerman. And I was very surprised and very disappointed by that. By that. And I got a lot of f- feedback. People were tweeting at me saying, oh, my God, why didn't you push back on this? Why didn't you call him out on that? Listen, if someone comes in here and argues that their favorite color is sweater, do you really need me to say, excuse me, <laughs> sweater's not a color? I mean, what are you? Hello? I mean, I knew a lot of the things that were being said were just off the wall and it's unfortunate. But you know what? I'm going to we're going to try it again because I am bound and determined that we have to talk to one another. We have to find common ground. And we're going to try it again. Dan Zimmerman won't be here tonight, but I have Lauren Hartnett coming in. She is she actually, believe it or not, she was a direct recommendation by the NRA itself. She is a native of New York City, and she is an NRA-certified firearms instructor, a competitive shooter, so watch your ass, and the founder of the Girls Got a Gun organization. Needless to say, she is a huge gun advocate, pro-gun. I am not, but... We have to find, we have to agree on certain things. We have to find some common ground. Now, I don't know Lauren well. In fact, I don't know her at all. She came, like I said, we have been emailing back and forth a bit. She seems extremely nice, totally reasonable. And so I am going to assume that's exactly what she is. And I'm sure she is. But we're going to have to work to find some common ground. And I'm always optimistic. I think... That's why I was so depressed last week is because I I had gone into the conversation thinking we would be able to. And I feel that way again. And I think we'll be just fine. She will be here later on in the show. Until then, I don't know if I'm under some kind of plague, but the past like four days have been so hilariously awkward, horrible for me that I, I don't know what's going on. On Friday night, a friend of mine had one of those birthday nights where he, you know, kind of plants himself at a bar and everyone comes and goes as they please to wish him well. Now, it must have had something to do with my alcohol intake, but I don't think I was like, you know, sloppy drunk falling all over the place and breaking stuff. I don't think I was at that level. But at one point, I went to go to the restroom and the restroom is down these hard, concrete steps. And I was feeling good. It's a Friday night. We're feeling all right. And I was hopping down the steps, these concrete, hard, steep steps. And uh, maybe halfway down, you know, my heel missed a step and I fall all the way down. (laughs) Oh, and there were two guys at the bottom of the steps talking to each other. Luckily, that's it. That's all who I assume saw me. And I just, (laughs) I fall down the steps and I just immediately am in pain. But that's totally secondary to the dignity kill. My dignity is destroyed. 
I dum 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 dum. I jump up. I say it's cool. I'm good. It's good. You know, fine. And I just run into the bathroom and cry the rest of the night. No, didn't cry, but I did just run off like a scared rat that had just gotten kicked by a pedestrian. I mean, why me? Why me? So then fast forward to today. I'm teaching a piano lesson to a six-year-old, the youngest I'll teach, and his music book falls off the piano. So I go down and I reach down real quick to uh, pick it up. Oh my God! My crotch exploded. <laughs> uh, these are these are some of my favorite goddamn pants, and I just felt <laughs> I felt my crotch of my pants pop on open, rip open. Now that was the first time. Later on this evening, they ripped open again. I haven't had time to go back home, so I'm sitting here with a fairly ripped open crotch. How are you doing? I mean, what have I done to deserve this, folks? This is all within the past three days. What have I done to deserve this? Am I cursed? Am I doomed? Am I going to die soon? Well, I have to tell you, at certain points, I kind of wanted to. Ugh. Okay, you're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will welcome in our guest, Lauren Hartnett, to have a discussion about guns and uh, the role they play here in the beautiful United States of America. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So, if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org/donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please, please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember, RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. This is the next best thing. Okay, so now, as promised, we'd like to welcome in our guest, Lauren Hartnett. She is a native of New York City. She started shooting about 10 years ago and is now an NRA-certified firearms instructor, as well as a competitive shooter, and the founder of the Girls Got a Gun organization. Lauren, thanks so much for coming in live and in the flesh this late at night. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, this time of night is is my waking hours. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we have that in common. Speaking of which, so before we even get into any of that, let's talk a little. Let's get to know each other just a little bit. You you grew up in New York City. Do you uh, have any siblings? I do. I have two younger brothers. Okay, cool. So and are they also um, shooters or not shooters? But you know into. Um, not really. Uh, it, it's kind of something that's unique to me. Oh, yeah? Well, that's cool. That's um, good. Everyone needs their thing yeah. in a family. <laughs> they support it. They think it's awesome. I've taken my youngest brother with me a couple of times to the range, and he yeah, he's enjoyed it. He likes it for fun, but definitely not as intense into it as yeah. I am. So I grew up in Kansas, and I had a lot of, tons of my, some of my best friends were like 
they were avid hunters and they would go to these uh, contests where they would do it like Target. What's it called? Skeet shooting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, skeet shooting. So they were very much into that. And it was very much, and I have family members that are very, very adamant hunters. So it wasn't, so it's not like, you know, so I'm not coming to this as a native New Yorker, which is kind of, it's not, you know, in the city, especially, it's really not a common thing to be brought up with, would you say? A hundred percent. Um, I mean, being born and raised on Staten Island, it was a little bit more uh, prominent, I guess. But even still, it was most of the time it was very taboo. It wasn't something that was big or advertised widely. Mm-hmm. Uh, being part, of, still part of New York City, we we know here it's not very how we put it to a friendly. So uh, I call New York City. Anybody who owns a gun in New York City usually we're closet gun owners. Um, really? Do you feel like you have to be? Uh, in current times, um, not that we have to be, but given the political climate of what's been going on, especially with the Second Amendment, a lot of people choose to be. And over the last couple of years, I've realized, well, we keep getting our rights stripped away. And especially in New York City, where we re- really don't have any anymore, um, I... I've decided, you know what, I can't stay quiet anymore. Like there, somebody needs to be able to stand up and say, listen, we, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. So let's have a conversation about it and let's not continue to berate each other and bring each other down because it's not getting us anywhere. Agreed. Well, and I do want to make one thing very clear because one of the points that I like and I so appreciate people coming on the show to talk about this is that my goal is more to find some common ground because I do. I think just like what you said, we are all in this country. We do. And that used to be a thing, finding common ground. I mean, like, Once upon really. a time. <laughs> and, it's, and I also should say as a disclaimer that my goal would never be to actually strip all guns away because of the Second Amendment. The fact that it's there, it's there. So... I'm not thinking, so all guns have to be taken away because I don't even, like I said, I grew up around them and the friends of mine that actually were avid hunters are probably the nicest, gentlest, <laughs> like, you know, yet most burly uh, guys yes. that I know. So um, on the Girls Got a Gun website, and you mentioned it even just now about feeling like your Second Amendment uh, rights are stripped away. Can you name it? Like what specifically do you feel like has been done that you feel like is a direct threat to Second Amendment rights? Well, in New York City, I have a premise pistol permit, which means the easiest way that I've been able to explain that to people is my gun is mine. However, it's registered to my home. Um, and the way that the premise permit is written through the NYPD, that's exa- that's essentially what it says. That it, it's, a, it's a permit and a pistol that is registered to a residence or a business. So I'm only allowed to take my firearm to and from an authorized range within New York City. Hmm. Unless I have a hunting permit, then I can go to an authorized hunting ground upstate New York. But I cannot leave the state, and the way I have it, I cannot leave the city under any circumstances with my firearm. If I do, I'm subject to misdemeanor or, um, I think, a year in imprisonment or a $1,000 fine or both Hmm. the way that they have it. Is that in New York? Like, let's say you were in... West Virginia, would you be subject to the New York law? Like you're not allowed to leave New York City with a gun based on New York law. Right. Okay. So, um, right. So that's the way that New York City has it. So if I want to go to a range, the gun can't be on my person either. If I want to go to a range and the range that I go to, it's a private club. It's 
literally a four and a half to five minute drive from my home right. if I don't catch any lights. So right. when I go there, the gun has to be locked in the trunk of my car, separate from ammo, unloaded. Ammo has to be locked separately. Uh, and then one, only once I get to the range and on the firing line, that's when I can load and then shoot. Um, so with that, the Second Amendment was initially, the Second Amendment covers more than that. It doesn't just protect the fact that I can have one and I could shoot. It's, a men, it's meant as a form of self-protection as well. And so as a female and as a woman and as somebody who has experienced things where I've realized how important my self-preservation is and how, much, how important self-defense is, I don't have that right anymore. Okay, so wait, let me understand. So you, because, so you're saying because it has to be separated from the ammo. Right. Okay. So in most other states, uh, except maybe California and New Jersey, I think, but most other states, you are able to get a concealed carry permit. Oh, you can't get one here? No. Really? Only unless you carry $10,000 in cash on you on a regular basis. Wait, is that, because I really don't know what the restrictions are. No, yes. (laughs) What? That's an actual? Yeah, that's an actual thing in New York City. Hey guys, it's Jonathan. So I hate to chime in here and I never do this, but this claim that you have to carry around $10,000 in cash in order to get a concealed weapon permit seemed crazy to me. And I just had to follow up because not that I thought Lauren was wrong, but I just wanted to see what law she was referring to, what's actually on the books for New York City and New York State when it comes to concealed carry. There is an organization called the USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association. They have every single gun law listed per state on their website. And so I looked it up and I also reached out to a representative from their organization to see if they had any idea what Lauren might have been referring to. They didn't. Here is what's on the books when it comes to New York gun laws. Concealed carry is only legal with a New York pistol license. The minimum age is 21 with the exception of honorably discharged members of the military who can be any age. New York does not recognize permits or licenses from any other states and only residents, part-time residents, or anyone who is principally employed or has his or her principal place of business in New York can obtain New York pistol licenses. The one exception are pistol licenses from New York City, which are valid statewide. In addition, New York pistol licenses are not valid in the five counties that make up New York City. No handguns can be taken into the city unless New York City has validated your license. No training is required to obtain a New York pistol license except for residents of Westchester County. Some areas are off-limits, including schools and courthouses. There are several types of New York pistol licenses available, but the most commonly issued are the concealed carry and possess on-premises licenses. Both licenses can be endorsed with restrictions such as only to be carried during hunting or traveling to or from target practice. In terms of reciprocity, New York does not honor permits from any other states. Those are the laws. That's what's on the books when it comes to concealed carry permits. No mention of $10,000, no mention of having to carry around a certain amount of cash. So I'm not sure what she was referring to, and I wanted to clear that up. Even the rest of New York State, I think in two other counties in New York State, you can apply for a concealed carry permit. And their carry permits strictly say for carry, except in New York City. So even if you have a New York State from the courts, that says you can carry a pistol on you, you cannot bring it into New York City. And in New York City, you cannot get a concealed carry permit unless you're a police officer, retired police officer, um, armed guard, but usually with them, they only let you carry on duty Hmm. and going to and from duty. They don't let you carry all the time. So it's a restricted permit. And then if you can prove need, 
And New York City justifies need as carrying large, large sums of cash on you on a regular basis. Oh, because you need to protect that. Yes, you need to protect money, not life. Huh. See, now this is, see, this is educational. I didn't realize that those were that strict. Now, let's put this out there. New York is one of the strictest states with gun laws, or at least the city. Yes. Are the city and state laws different? Very different. Okay, because of the mayor versus the governor? Because I know Governor (laughs) Cuomo is pretty gun strict. He is. um, And yes, the laws are very, very, they're actually drastically different. Gotcha. And New York City has their own set of laws written into the New York City Penal Code, gotcha. which is what the NYPD follows and any other law enforcement agencies that are that have jurisdiction in New York City. However, once you step out into New York State, like I said, my aunt was the pistol licensing clerk in her county, which was right outside of Albany, and everybody she knew carried a gun on them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So as far as that goes... They still have that up there. Um, they they had the SAFE Act that was passed after Sandy, and when they started the ban on assault weapons, even still, those have always been banned in New York City for as long as I can remember. And they New York City is very they're a lot more specific about it than than New York. So they New York City has gone as far as banning certain types of firearms in general, not not even certain types, certain manufacturers, brands, models, they will specifically say, I mean, the M1 Garand, that was a rifle that was used in World War II, (laughs) and that rifle is specifically banned in New York State. So you feel like your Second Amendment is infringed upon because it's not just the right to have a gun, but it's the right to use a gun if needed, and if it's separated from the ammo, then how are you going to use it without loading? And even in the home, it's supposed to be locked and safeguarded and basically non-accessible. So if somebody breaks into my home and I am now lucky enough to unlock my firearm and load it and get it ready and now begin to protect myself, only then once I have not been able to either leave my home or get to a safe area where somebody was gone, my life now has to be threatened and then I can I can protect myself. Okay, so good to know. So this is on the more strict end of the spectrum. So we could debate on, you know, whether or not there are better laws to have. But would you agree that, I mean, in terms of some restriction versus none, I mean, like at least last year, the states with the highest gun homicide rates were surprisingly to some people like Alaska, Alabama, where they have very few gun restrictions, while we have a lot and we are on the lower end. So a lot of people would see that as gun laws and gun restrictions working in the sense that they do reduce gun homicides. Again, we can debate which restrictions to have, but would you agree that there should be some kind of regulation about, you know, like who just can be flailing guns around at all times? Well, if that, you know, because you never know, some people might want to be, who knows? Right. I mean, I wouldn't use the word flailing. Well, because we tend not to flail, but (laughs) well, if you know how to use them, you tend not to flail. Right. Well, as far as restrictions go, I mean, we have a lot of laws currently set in place on a nation and on a federal level where. we were there failing and a lot of what's been going on isn't necessarily well let's face it a lot of what's been going on has been driven by the mass shootings that we've had in this country and it's not about it it's turned it's it's turned away from people carrying pistols and carrying firearms to protect themselves and it's turned into just full on accessibility and they want there there needs to be something to blame so a criminal isn't a criminal until they commit a crime. Mm-hmm. 
So what happens, how do we, the question has been, how do we stop that? And everybody, a lot of the antis have, have come up with the conclusion, well, if we ban the AR-15 and we ban these, these assault rifles, then they're just not going to happen anymore because, well, Australia. What? And if we just make it difficult for everybody to get one and we make it super expensive because New York City's process is $400 every three years. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole separate issue that I have. But we we look for something to blame and then we look for an answer for it. And to get to the root, to to understand, to come to a solution with a problem, you have to get to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. And we that's where a lot of us differ on what the root of this actual problem is. Um, we, if we take a look at the mass shootings that have happened in the past, there's been severe mental health issues. There's been FBI showing up to someone's house 16 times and doing inquiries and local police showing up to the house, but yet nothing was ever reported. Um, in Texas, the, that the man that he was dishonorably dishonorably discharged from the military, he was not supposed to have gotten a firearm. Mm -hmm. But yet, his paperwork was human error. Somebody didn't report that to the system. Had the human that was supposed to have done that, had that went through the system and went properly, when he went to go buy a firearm, he would not have been able to. So we have these laws and we do have these safeguards already set in place, but there's still human error and they're not perfect and then there's holes. And then we have laws that were passed that get passed on emotion and we understand that these that these tragedies are emotional because we have all gone through tra- tragedies mm-hmm. and we all do get very emotional about them but somebody needs to say okay well then let's think this through cuz nothing is going to come good from overnight cuz even when the safe act was passed which was passed days after after Sandy Hook there were so many flaws in that Right. Well, and we'll get to AR-15s and different types of guns and whatnot, but just to stay on the Second Amendment. So we can agree, though, that, you know, when it was written in 1789 and adopted 1791, obviously guns could typically fire about three bullets per minute. You know, and they used a hand packet paper cartridge and like a 15 millimeter ball. So obviously those revolutionary style muskets were different and less capable, I would say, of mass casualties they're different guns back then are different than guns we have now obviously right we would, yes. we, would we can agree on that yeah so what do you think you know to break it down a little bit it does say a well-regulated militia what what do you take well-regulated to mean well it also says the people yes and so well-regulated people right yeah and we the con the way the constitution was written was we the people meaning the people of this country the mm-hmm. united states citizens which is not just law enforcement which is not just the military which is not just people who are privy enough to be able to get a permit or own a firearm it means everybody and it even though the technology yes the technology is, is different but the purpose mm-hmm. still stands the same because there as much as we need to keep up with technology, mm-hmm. granted. Um, but the First Amendment, all of these other amendments and all of these other rights that we have in place, none of them have been regulated to keep up with technology. But I would, I mean, I would just say that speech, see, that, that is the big difference. Whenever people compare guns like to cars or other stuff, I, I always have to point out that the big difference is 
with cars, their purpose is, first of all, cars are not in the Constitution, but regardless, you know, their purpose is transportation and whatnot. And speech, the freedom of speech, like, that's kind of the big thing is that there is hate speech and we can talk about that, but I can't use my words to shoot up a school or whatever. So in just in terms of, like, my right to speak might hurt your feelings, but it's not really going to hurt your health. My right to have a gun could, could if I don't know how to use it or use it to well, hurt you. Right. But then the other side of that is, well, I still have the right to protect myself. You do. Sure. So, and I would agree with that. Although self-defense is not actually mentioned in the Second Amendment, but go ahead. If if somebody is coming at me, I, I still have that right. So the way that I would look at a firearm is its purpose is to is for its purpose is to secure my life. Um, and like I said, as a as a female, it's easy to be over over uh it's easy to be overtaken by somebody who's larger than me. Mm-hmm. I'm five foot two. I'm short. Right. Um, so somebody who's six four, six five, even six foot, who is much larger than me, is coming to me to do harm. Mm-hmm. Then at what point, whose life is more valuable at that? Right now, I would agree. So your view, firearm, you view it as a primary means to protect yourself, and I think that's a valid thing to view it as. Now, obviously, the guy who shot up Las Vegas. Obviously he wasn't thinking of it that way. Same with any of the mass shooters or any, you know, it's not, we'll get to mass shootings. But so if there was a way to evaluate that, that's what you are going to use this for, you know what I mean? Only because like if you're a firearms instructor, right? Yes. So I imagine that safety and knowing how to handle and use a firearm is, is paramount. Yes. So would you agree that um, a person probably shouldn't you know, be using one, especially without any supervision, if they had not had any training in safety or how to handle? I always encourage everybody, if you're going to shoot a firearm, you, yes, take, take instruction. Even if it's, if it's not formal instruction, um, you know, the same way you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get into a car just to drive because you can hurt somebody. And if it's you're, illegal. Right. Well, <laughs> if even in, in some states, it, it's not. What? <laughs> what you mean like age of licensing but you do right. have the license right yeah. um but you you wouldn't just get into a car and just teach yourself how to drive mm-hmm. it probably is going to take a lot longer you wouldn't maybe drive as well right and you have the potential to hurt somebody but your intent is not that your intent is to get from point a to point b mm-hmm. so that's the way that i look at it if you're going to handle a firearm i strongly encourage and it's what I did. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't take formal instruction at first. I was taught by actually my aunt who has the only, she's the only one in my family who shares the passion for shooting as I do. And she's actually the one who taught me. And it, it, it's something that we took very seriously. And I was kind of young at the age. I mean, I'm 29 now. So I started really shooting probably now more than 10 years ago, but at around 18. So I wouldn't say that I was immature, but I was 18 years old, (laughs) but it was something where I was told, well, this gets taken seriously and you're, you know, this is what this does. And I had already known at that point, but yes, it's important because you, especially if you want to get better and you want to be efficient and you are going to carry for self-defense because not everybody that has a firearm chooses to carry for Mm self-defense, whatever your ends mean it, your end game is, it's important to still learn. And even as an instructor who have been instructing for about eight years, 
continue to further my education and my training just because you learn something new from every instructor and you learn something new from every class. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think I couldn't agree more. Would you say that requiring any type of like safety training or, or not licensing, but any type of safety and instruction. So they, you know, you know how to use a firearm. Would that be infringing on a second amendment? Right. Because it's not saying you can't have one. It's saying just before go through this process of training um, because because we do, you know, with driver's ed, whether you live in a state where the age for your license is 16 or 18 or whatever, there are various restrictions, but there are restrictions. You either have to pass a driver's test and sometimes you have to take driver's ed, one or the other, but you have to, you have to educate yourself and get a license. Now, once you have that license, it's very easy to renew, but you did have to get it once. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I do have, feelings about require like requirements and requiring it's I understand how but it's one of those things where I think gun owners because to me it's like well everybody would do that like that's just what we do because every every gun owner that I know we've all taken instruction and at this point give instruction for the most part um so as far as requiring it for the people who don't naturally do it it's one of those things that if if that's what this can come down to, it's that's a conversation to absolutely have. Um, the problem is getting everybody to that to that middle ground. So let me okay, so let's talk about that. So what like we're talking about a lot about cars. So I do have friends who are, you know, like Tim the Toolman Taylor uh-huh. in terms of like they they love uh, building cars taking cars apart, uh, detailing cars, you know, old cars, new cars, blah, blah, some like racing cars, but they've never been, they, and maybe it's cause we're too young cause we were never really alive when they didn't have speed limits or seatbelt laws or licensing requirements or, you know, drag racing is illegal with a license. You know what I mean? Like, in, right. yeah. And like, so they may like to do that, but they would never, they don't see speed limits as like a threat. So I guess, when you talk about finding middle ground, it feels it seems like a lot of times gun advocates worry that any type of compromise is once you give a mouse a cookie, they'll want another. Or you know what I mean? Like right. there's, there's it'll open the floodgates. Well, we feel that way because that's essentially what has happened with us. Um, and like in New York, at one point, not in, up until not really that long ago. There was such thing as a target permit in New York City where you were allowed to carry on you to and from a range. So we had that. And then somebody had turned around and realized that, oh, well, people are carrying guns on them in New York City that aren't police. Oh, wait, no, we can't have this. So then they turn around and now that's gone. So we did come. We have come to these middle grounds. And then it it has been that case of you give a mouse a cookie and they're going to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. and. New York City is a prime example of that. And now New Jersey is becoming that. And California has been a prime example of that. So I know in Connecticut right now, they have a lot of turmoil with with firearms and with the Second Amendment. And their governor is trying to grossly strict, restrict their Second Amendment. And they are continuously and up until, you know, even recently, they're having positive outcomes. But it's not 
easy because we know that if we turn around and say, okay, sure, you know what? You could have this no problem. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to turn around and say, okay, well, we will also want this, 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 and this. Maybe not that quickly, but it's going to happen. And here is proof of that. California is proof of that. And Jersey is proof of that. Can you maybe, because like we were talking in the very beginning about finding common ground and not necessarily, I don't know, because like when you, because when you say you see it as them trying to restrict your Second Amendment right, could you see how maybe they see it as more like there were almost 40,000 gun related deaths in 2016? Now, most of those, the vast majority of those were actually suicides. Mm -hmm. But regardless, you know, it's, it's like when I hear about an accidental shooting or a mass shooting or whatever, like my thought isn't, oh, let's, you know, let's come get the guns. It's more like, okay, well, how are we going to, to get a grasp on this? Because it is, you know, compared to other countries, it is, it does seem like it's out of control. Like if we had a pollutant or something that was right. killing almost 40,000 people or a, a killer bee or something, I feel like people would be flipping out. Right. <laughs> so um, the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, they, they sponsor a pro- program called um, Project Child Safe. Mm-hmm. And that program's main responsibility is to reduce accidental deaths and to educate children mm-hmm. on firearms and the use of firearms. And they they give out firearm locks all the time. And they, you know, they've been responsible for when you purchase a firearm, you have a lock that comes with it. So that's something from a pro shooting organization or a pro two A organization that has taken a step and they're they're huge. But a lot of times the other side doesn't want to hear it because it's coming from a pro 2A organization. So therefore it's not good enough. What's 2A? Second amendment. Sorry. Uh, oh, <laughs> okay. okay gotcha. um, I was thinking t- small high school. No, sorry. Uh, so um, therefore it's not good enough, mm-hmm. but we're not the ones to come at and attack. We're the ones to say, all right, listen, you guys are the pros on this situation. You know how guns work. You know what happens. You know how that, you know how to use them. You know how to train. So how do we do this? I remember my cousin was going through the academy and their instructors had asked them if anybody has kids at home. I want to talk about this really quick. Mm -hmm. And one of a lot of what we teach is we know kids are curious. Mm -hmm. You tell a kid no, they're going to say, well, now that they told me no, I want to know why they told me no. So they're going to become more curious when you start hiding it. When you say, no, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. First instinct in a kid is say, I'm going to touch it. So, How do we kill that curiosity and at the same time educate? We tell them, listen, this is what this is. As soon as they're old enough to comprehend, as soon as they're old enough to understand that you use a knife to cut food and you hide, you know, you teach them, well, this is the cleaning supply closet. You don't go in here because these are bad for you. Mommy will use them to clean clean the bathroom, but they're still bad for you. They can hurt you. So, But when I use them... You know, we open up the windows, we keep the doors open, we make sure that there's fresh air because if it's not, so we teach them that. Mm-hmm. And firearms shouldn't be any different. You yeah. have a child who's old enough to understand, you teach them. If that's something you're going to have in your home, then yes, it's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And when you have other kids come into your home, it's your responsibility. And we as gun owners, we understand that. Would you say, you know, I've heard stories about like kids, because kids, you're right, kids are curious. And I know that. I know that when I was nine, we, I knew where my brother kept his BB gun, but boy, it looked real. It looked like a real handgun. And I climbed in and got it. Now I didn't know how to unlock it, but that's a perfect example of something that could have gone horribly wrong. It had it been real and had I'd known how to unlock it. But like, 
But if if that were to happen, let's say, okay, so your two kids are over, they find it, and one accident, one gets shot because they thought it was unloaded. See, this is not something I plan to even talk about. But like, when would you? Who do you hold responsible? The parent who didn't lock it up well enough, or what? You know what I mean? As I said, it that's a, it's a gun owner's responsibility. So we, you would. So you, yeah. We right when we when we when we take on the responsibility to exercise our Second Amendment right, most gun owners, we, the majority, the vast majority of us, mm-hmm. we know what this responsibility entails. I, we, we don't feel like, well, now that I have a gun, that's it. I'm invincible to everything. No, we, we take these precautions. As a parent, I mean, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I've seen, you know, as, even as a gun owner and as an instructor and other friends that I have that have kids, I mean, one of my good friends, her daughter, even with a toy gun, mm-hmm. this girl is so disciplined. And it's funny because I watch her on Facebook and I just, I laugh, but it it's true. Like she's so disciplined. She won't even point a fake gun at somebody just because she knows that this is what it is. I mean, we make a constant joke of, you know, you're a gun owner when you pick up a Windex bottle and you don't put your finger on it. Like your finger is on, you know, the side of the, the, mm. the sprayer and it's not even on the trigger yet. But the kids that I, I know that are in the shooting industry, that's, that's them in reality. Mm-hmm. And it's because of how they were brought up. I mean, it's just, it's our mindset. Right. But not all, see, that's the thing. Not all kids are that trained. They should be because that's a great mindset to have. And I, you know, when I look at gun owners like you, I think, oh, if only, if only everyone, but also not everyone see like some people who get guns, they don't even see it as like, a, it's not like a, a way of life or a sport. They get it Kind of because they either think for who knows, maybe they want to kill themselves. Maybe they, you know, they're in a gang. Who knows? Like, and so they safety is the last thing on their mind. They, you know, they're thinking right. if they need to bust it out, they'll bust it out. And we, you know, get to get in that mindset would be impossible. We don't know what they're thinking. But in terms of like, okay, so the whole point is to find understanding and common ground. And you mentioned it, how whenever there's like a mass shooting, the organizations like the NRA and others like it feel kind of like they have to go on the defensive or feel like they get attacked. And I would just say like at this point, you know, as someone who's on the other side would say that the reason I get frustrated with the NRA is because I feel like when something happens, whether it's a mass shooting or not, you know, anytime, anytime that there's a town hall or something and Dana Lash Loesch is brought in, you know, to be the spokesman or whatever, I feel like their point doesn't seem to be to find common ground. You know, it's like it's her or the organization versus whoever, you know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, and it also seems like sometimes when something bad happens, their first mindset isn't, oh my gosh, innocent people have been killed. It's okay, man your battle stations. We have to go fight these gun control people. And I mean, because as a gun owner and a gun advocate, when some kid in Connecticut, you know, takes a gun and walks into an elementary school, doesn't that... Doesn't that, don't you take that personally? I mean, like, because it's kind of like, well, now they're giving you a bad name. So it's kind of like, I would think, you know, that when stuff like that happens, you guys would be the ones to be like, okay, how are we going to figure out so these dumb shits don't keep misusing our tool or our pro or our sport or whatever? You know what I mean? Well, that's where, you know, that's where I said where we have to find the actual root of this problem. And we have, we have a huge mental health problem in this country and that's nothing, you know, that's nothing new. We, we've known that's been going on, but 
I mean, how how does a program that or how does a law that we have now um, that we have a background check and system that doesn't work? Because I mean, but I mean, you said a, you mentioned how a criminal is not a criminal until they commit a crime. Right. Well, it's kind of like how because a lot of times these people, I mean, some have histories but some don't you know like you can't because it's kind of like oh i think he seems right. a little crazy let's bag him up and put him in a psych right. ward you, you can't, can't do, do that, that until they've already <laughs> right you yeah. can't do that right so you're right how do you know then right so at that point we our response to that is that's why we protect ourselves because you don't know and right. that's why we that's why we take these precautions that we do. That's why I have a gun. That's why I carry a gun. That's why I take these classes because I don't want to be that victim and I don't want my family and I don't want my children to be that victim. So I entrust my, I, I, I'm going to entrust a school to, to take care of and watch over my children for eight hours out of the day. And I don't, I, I, that's where I'm sending them there and mm -hmm. they're vulnerable there. As uh, amongst other at school, doesn't that, isn't that sad? It is sad, and you know what? It's sad that it's everywhere. It, it, it is. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. But well, it's everywhere here. It, <laughs> well, you know what though? Even in Europe, there's been terrorist attacks in Europe. There's uh -huh. been there's been bombings and there's been shootings and there's been explosions in Europe. And I mean, everywhere is vulnerable. That yeah. that that's human nature, though. That's what we that's but, what we are. But absolutely, but. In terms of numbers, it's not even close. I mean, the massacres, the shootings, the murders, there's so many more here in America. Because well, because there are more guns here. But, you know, and I know that you guys hate to hear that. I know, like, I know. Uh, but no, I mean, I mean like, <laughs> well, because, like, the United States, and it's, you know, and we can talk about how it's a bigger country and all that stuff, but per, per capita, it's like, I think we are 16 times as many fire arm related deaths is like Germany. I think it's six times as Canada. Now we're different countries and we're, you know, and again, as I said at the beginning, we have a second amendment. So regardless of what their laws are, we would be, we would adapt. Okay. But, yeah. and a lot of times with those statistics, I'm like, okay, well, those are firearm related deaths. Right. I want to know why in Australia, their violent attacks on women is the same per capita as the United States. And they have a drastic, a drastically lower population than we do. Well, yeah, no, that's true. Violent and, crime or yeah, right. violent crime is so is our our violent crime rate is pretty similar. It's the deaths that result from those violent crimes. Right. And we they're a fraction of the population of the United States, but yet one in four women in Australia will be raped and one in four women in America will be raped. And in Australia, women have no rights to protect themselves. Um, women actually, if, if a man comes into my, into my home and they try to rape me or they try to attack me and I stab them with a knife in a bedroom, mm -hmm. I'm going to jail. No, no, you're wrong about that. But I was going to say with our violent crime rate being equal, but the deaths being higher, it, you know, I think it correlates because you're, you see that you're seeing it as they don't have guns to protect themselves, but I'm seeing it as the rapist didn't have a gun to shoot them in the first place. Well, which maybe they do. And that's another thing that I want to make very clear. I'm not under the impression that if we make a law saying a certain gun is illegal, they'll vanish. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. But there was something in the CDC that says kids age five to 14 in America, as opposed to those in other developed rich nations, they're 13 times more likely to die of guns, eight times more likely to die of gun suicide. 
So that's a when it comes to gun suicide, that's purely availability. You know, you can you can't commit suicide with a gun. There's no gun around. Right. And again, now that does come down to locking it up and whatnot. But like, let's get to the suicide issue. So I think out of almost forty thousand gun related deaths in 2016, over 20,000, so over 50% were suicides. And with suicide, the way I look at it is I, a few years ago, I, I had an opportunity to meet this guy named Kevin Hines and he grew up in California. The ideas of suicide, if I'm completely honest with myself, have been there for a long, long time, years way before I was diagnosed. And I wrote about, I must have written five versions of my, of my suicide letter. I had told him that I don't wanna, I, saw, I, what I, I said, uh, Dad, I don't wanna hurt anybody anymore. I have to go away. And he was like, do I have to take you to the hospital? You know, stuff like that. I was like, no, 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 it's all right, it's all right. I said, let me just sleep on it and we'll talk about it in the morning, okay? I'm really tired, Dad, I'm really tired. So uh, he woke me up the next morning about, about Seven o'clock, because I got maybe like two hours sleep. And he woke me up and he said, uh, hey, uh, uh, you're coming to work with me. I was like, no. He said, no, come on, you, I'm worried about you. I'm really worried about you, you gotta go. I said, Dad, I'm fine. The entire time, lying through my teeth, because I knew I was gonna go to the bridge and jump. I kissed him goodbye on the cheek, and I was like, all right, this is the last time I ever had to kiss my dad goodbye. You know, I'll never see him again. And he'll never see me. I took the K out to the 28, to the 28 out to the bridge. And the whole time I was just bawling my eyes out, just crying. And uh, went out to the bridge. Found a place that I thought, all right, it's not too close to the pillar, I won't hit the pillar. I'll just hit the water, I'll either drown or I'll die on impact, or I'll have a heart attack. So I got there, stood there for like 40 minutes at that spot. Just crying my eyes out. Joggers, bikers, runners, tourists, whatever, running by, walking by, looking at me, didn't say anything. And this woman, uh, she came up to me and she said, in a German accent, I think it was a German accent, she said, will you take my picture? I was like, your picture? Woman, I'm gonna kill myself. What, are you, what is wrong with you? Can't you see the tears pouring out my face? But she couldn't, she was on her own hype. So I took the camera, took her picture, said, Miss, have a nice day. Turned back to the, to the traffic, turned to the bay, said, fuck it, nobody cares. Pardon my French. And I hurled over the bridge. See, what, what most people do, apparently, is they, they get on the ledge outside of the bridge and they stand there. People could talk them out of it, you know, or pull them up or whatever. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want anybody to talk me out of it. I just wanted to die. So I hurtled over the over the railing with my hands, and I was falling head first. And the second my hands left the bar, the bar or the railing, I said, I don't want to die. I said, What am I going to do? This is like this is it. I'm dead. And the second my hands left the bar, the bar or the railing, I said, I don't want to die. I said, I don't want to die. And he survived. No one survives a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. So the fact that he can survive to tell that story always makes me think, oh my God, think how many of the thousands of people who have jumped from that bridge who didn't live probably felt the same way. And I feel like with a gun suicide, 
it's kind of like I looked up the statistic before and it was like people who cut their wrists or whatever is like 5% of them actually die. People who try and overdose, I think 7% actually die. If someone shoots themselves, it's like 95 plus die because it's, you know, and suicides are usually like a impulsive reaction to some momentary crisis. And if when you're 13, that momentary crisis might be, you just, you know, someone just outed you or your scene could be anything who knows, you know? But when you, with the gun, it's like they don't get that second chance to look back on it and think, oh my God, how, you know, crazy and how silly I was. And that's the real thing to think about, I think. Don't you think? That's not to say, so therefore, you don't have a right to protect yourself, but we have to agree that it's a problem. Right. But in this situation, I, I, again, I think the problem is how do we help them? I mean. Well. I would agree, but if they shoot themselves, how do we help them? It's over. Right. And I mean, you take Robin Williams, who was somebody who his family didn't know if he, mm-hmm. he was, you know, he, he, he didn't take his life by firearm, but so it, how do we know? Totally it, like, it. that's what, that's kind of what it comes down to. I guess that's what you're saying is how do we know that if that I think a lot of times people miss signs Mm because I think that what you were saying was, well, then how do we help them if we don't have that chance, if they've already gone through with it? Right. Um, And what I'm saying is, is, well, how do we stop them or how do we help them before it comes to that point? How do we help somebody before they get to the golden, the golden gate bridge? How do we help somebody before, you know, they step on that stool? How do we help somebody before they load that magazine? So how do we do that? Because to me that just because somebody has demons on the inside and, that to me, that's, that's, that's something that's worth fixing. And I guess that that's what you were saying, like, you know, helping them after the fact, but what I want to do is like, why, how do we come to a solution to help them before? Well, regardless of us, I mean, like, cause like, I know that I can, like, I remember certain times when I was in middle school, just being so emotional and like, and I'm glad that I didn't have any guns around because who knows what I would have done impulsively. Like a lot of times people, even at the Golden Gate Bridge, a lot of times people will climb up on the post and stand there for a while. They want to be talked down. A lot of times people don't actually want to die, but once you've jumped or pull a trigger, it's too late. If you, and this is something I hear from gun advocates, if you are dead, dead, dead set on killing yourself, you'll find a way. That's true. But a lot of times people aren't, you know what I mean? And so they don't, they'll think that a lot of times, especially teenagers or whatever, they'll think, oh, I'm so depressed. I just want to kill myself. And they'll pull a gun out thinking, kind of not even think, you know what I mean? Like not realizing that that's it. I think the majority of those though, it, that's usually not the first sign. Well, it's not the first sign, but it's still. Especially with teenagers. um, Because I struggled with depression in high school and in, and in junior high school. And, you know, uh, in my with when it came to my case, it was kind of addressed very quickly with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were situations that were going on that kind of led to that. So once I was able to figure out what was going on and my parents and my family were an immense part of that. So that was I was fortunate enough to have that support system. Mm-hmm. And like but it wasn't there were signs before that. And usually with kids and teenagers there are usually signs before it comes to that point before like they don't just, 
it's very rare that it just wakes up one day and it's just like a kid is just like, you know what? I think that I'm going to do this today. Right. Well, the reason I even brought up Kevin Hines is because because he he did spend years like wanting to die, like truly wanting to die. And he was in and out of, you know, hospitals and had different doctors on medications and stuff. And he didn't climb up on the railing and stand there. He really wanted to die. It wasn't until his fingers left the railing that he changed his mind. And so with him, it's kind of like if he didn't, didn't want to die once his hand left the railing, I'm sure people who do get up there and stand and fall or whatever, you know, he had all the signs. He had, I mean, I'm, he had tried before. And as he said in the story, his dad wanted him to go to work with him that day, but you can't watch kids 24-7. And had he had a gun, he couldn't have, there would, you know, right. rare that you survive the Golden Gate Bridge jump, rare that you survive a shot to the head. Right. But again, then that's the fact that those two are comparable in that way because people have survived, survived gunshot wounds or self-inflicted gunshot wounds. The, the fact that you're comparing them in that way also means that they're not, that this isn't a gun issue or that that's, that's not, you know, a Golden Gate Bridge issue. This well, is, yeah, no, I wouldn't ever say right, but yeah, suicide's is, not necessarily a gun issue. It just makes it easier. Right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it. It does and it doesn't because, again, not all suicides are done by firearms. No, but a lot are, and you don't survive them. Almost never do you survive. Uh, it, it, <laughs> so it's something. I mean, I actually haven't looked into in, into the into the suicide statistic about mm-hmm. you know that widely, but it is something that to me that would be a mental health issue, and it's it's frustrating when we bring firearms into it because it's like, well, this is the same thing that we've been trying to say. Like if you want to cause harm, whether it's to yourself or whether it's somebody else, you eradicated firearms out of the, out of the equation. It'd be tougher. Hate, hate is, it may not necessarily be tougher yeah. because, you know, um, um, Timothy McVeigh didn't use firearms. Right. So the intent is there. They're going to find a way. Right. My only counter to that would be that with uh, Columbine, they also made a lot of bombs, but most of them didn't work. Bombs are hard to make effectively. You know what I mean? They didn't work or they went off after the fact. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So, but, you know, if and also people don't typically use bombs to shoot up a quickie mart or whatever. So, I mean, it's possible. And yes, I mean, but here they certainly. Don't, but other places they are. Well, ter- but I just mean like in terms of because a lot of like we've said, a lot of the gun deaths are. um are gang related or accidental shootings or drive-bys or stray bullets or suicides or whatever. And in terms of those, typically they're not making bombs to commit, kill themselves, kill themselves unless they want to kill a bunch of other people, which, you know, is a whole different conversation. Would you agree that where there are more guns, naturally there would be more gun deaths, just like where there is more rain, there would be more flooding. Not no, not really. <laughs> really, you don't think so? No, because I, I, a lot of the, um, a lot of the places with the highest gun ownership usually tend to have the lowest, um, death rates and violent crime rates. Like, can you think of any? Um, I know, I know, uh, New Hampshire is one of them. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire ha- and Maine, a lot of the Northeast has some of the lowest crime rates, period, and crime-related deaths, period. And in Vermont and New Hampshire and in Maine, it's constitutional carry. So when you go up to New Hampshire, 
you don't need a permit to carry a firearm. You go there and you go. So that scares me. Well, <laughs> not necessarily because this is, a, again, this goes back to a culture where it's a place where people grew up ab- around them and they still need to go through a background check to purchase one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lot of where people kind of get confused too if they're not necessarily, um, if they're not a gun owner, if they've never gone through the process, there's different aspects of it. And mm-hmm. this is where it gets confusing where we have a, we have a, frustration with because a lot of the information that gets sent out is incorrect so in new hampshire if you walk into a store you can purchase a firearm you do have to go through a background check mm-hmm. um however you don't need a permit to be able to now carry that on you right so but that's not to say that those people that do are unfamiliar or not trained or because in new york state you are not allowed to touch a pistol unless you have a permit. Mm -hmm. So to me, what that means is you in New York state, I cannot teach you how to shoot in New York state. I cannot teach you how to, how to hold a pistol, how to touch a pistol, how to fire a pistol. I can't teach you anything. I could verbally explain it to you, but I cannot take you to the range in New York state and teach you how to do it until you have your own in your hand. So to me, I'm like, well, how does that even make sense? Mm -hmm. You, you know, we've had this, we had this conversation where we want to focus on training and you want to make training a requirement, but saying, you know, um, cause that's a, a lot of, that's something that's been brought up in, mm-hmm. in these gun debates and stuff. So it's like, all right, so you want to do that, but you won't even let me teach you. So now you're making it impossible for me to even teach you about it. Right. Well, well that, so that would have to be a compromise. Um, I was just going to say in 2016, the states with the highest gun homicide rates were Alaska, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, pretty loose gun laws, the ones with lowest Hawaii, New York, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. And those are numbers provided by the Center for Disease Control. Now, again, you know, we're talking about New York and these, these, some of the laws, even to me, who's not a gun, you know, gun enthusiast. Sure. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, we could talk about that. It's like with the ammo and stuff. I mean, I don't know, because I don't see, well, then what's the point of having a gun if you can't have ammo? I mean, I yeah, so we could talk about stuff like that, but just in terms of like, and also, and here's the thing. So when we talk, because another thing I hear a lot is, listen, you know, guns are already out there. So even if you have laws, it's going to do, it's not how it's not going to like erase everything. That's true. But, you know, given that there were 40,000 in 2016, a 1% decrease is still like 400, 400 lives saved. That's a lot. Right. You know, one, it's, it's not, it's 1%, but 400 lives is 400 lives. And that's all I'm getting at. I mean, like, can you, can you at least see that I'm, this is right. And this is, this is where the common ground does need to start. Right. Um, And this is where, if we can all just start off at this, Mm -hmm. right. Because, (laughs) and not backtrack into anything else. I think that that's where the conversation can be had. So, Gang-related incidents or gang-related gun violence, that's a gang problem, mm-hmm. you know? And we have guns out of New York City. You, you can't carry them on the street in New York City, yet a vast majority of people do, aside from people who are allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I work EMS in this city. I've been working EMS in this city for almost 15 years. Do you see a lot of gunshot victims? Uh, we, I've seen, yes. Yeah. I've had my fair share. I worked in East New York. I worked in... Um, I've worked the majority of my career in Brooklyn, so I have seen mm-hmm. um, 
just from this side, you know? And uh, I don't think I've ever had a victim who was shot with a gun that was legal. And so... But I understand that, and I, you know, would you say, though, that that is an indication that they shouldn't be illegal? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, like, because, again, you know, we have speed limits. People speed all the time. We're not going to do away with speed limits. But what I'm saying is the gang is the issue in this. Right. Because that that violence is still going to ensue because as many gunshot victims I've had is as many stabbing victims I've had. Mm -hmm. Um, So that violence is still going to happen. So how do we just stop violence? Because I think that looking at it as, because when you look at something as, when you look at something and you turn around and say violent crime and then you say gun crime, what's the difference? Well, not so much gun crime. I just mean like, or gun violence. if I'm going to attack anybody, I feel like even if I have a knife or whatever, it's going to be harder for me to get close enough to them and stab them as it would to be 50 feet away and shoot them. Plus, isn't that kind of, you know, uh, efficiency and whatnot? I feel like that's part of the perks of guns, whether you're hunting or shooting or whatever. Well, no, because it, it's, it's difficult. I mean, have mm-hmm. you ever shot before? Have I you have. Ever, you have. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, never... At anything other than at a range. Right, right, right. Well, that's what, yeah. I, that's what I mean. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, you know. You know. Um, okay, have you you've shot handgun? hmm Okay, so. Yeah, no, it's not easy. It, it, right, <laughs> it's not easy. And I highly doubt that uh, gang members are going to the range and practicing. I, I mean, mean, it's. No, I've I doubt never, it too. I, I've never seen them. But. But that makes me more nervous about them. It does, yes. <laughs> um, And. Again, that's where I'll turn around and say, like, education comes into it. But I've had, like I said, I've had my my fair share of of stabbing victims, of fight victims, of assault victims, as I have had gunshot victims. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had a majority of my gunshot victims survive and mm-hmm. live. And I've, had a major- and I've had a number of my stabbing victims not live. Mm-hmm. So... When I look at it again, I'm going to sit here and say, like, well, what's the difference? If violence is violence and violence's only purpose is to inflict pain and to hurt somebody else, then what's the difference in what the tool was used to accomplish that? The, the bigger issue here is the amount of hate that's in somebody to be able to do that to another human. Mm-hmm. And, and stopping that. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the same time, still allowing me or allowing somebody else who's who's responsible because we'll we can start off by saying that the majority of citizens in the United States are law abiding citizens. Mm-hmm. I think we have more non criminals than criminals, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, <would> hope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when we don't have a voice, because a lot of that's what's happened to us. We the the pro two A community has lost their voice we're we're not allowed to speak without getting berated and without getting torn down and and made out to be monsters i mean the names that i have personally been called by people who don't know me Mm -hmm. just on social media alone and along with some of my other friends who have been called far worse is just appalling so same i mean that's also part of the age in which we live sadly i mean there was something that happened a couple of days ago in Connecticut too, where they were having a hearing on gun control in their local legislation. And um, a woman who is very vocal about her anti second amendment opinion 
had texted somebody and been caught texting somebody else saying, you know, if I had a gun, I would blow away Samerson and half and all these people from the NRA. So I'm like, <laughs> this is the point, you mm-hmm. know, like she she hates guns. She she adamantly hates them. Well, However, at least she has the self-awareness to know that she's too crazy of a bitch to right? have without but, using them. But, you know, that ugh. hateful intent is still there. Sure. So a lot of this, it just comes down to intent and how, you know, uh, I'll take a quote from a friend of mine, but my frustration is how does rendering me defenseless stop anybody else from committing a violent crime? Right. I mean, I would just, because I do want to make it clear, like I, from what you just said, I would argue that I don't want to render you or any other person who's truly thinking of a gun or whatever as a way to defend themselves. Like, I don't want to render anyone defenseless. In fact, I'm a huge self-defense advocate, really. I mean, like, if someone assaults you or someone you love or breaks in your house, mm-hmm. you have to wipe the floor with them. But, but, you know, in terms of, like, people who are, you know, who are not looking at it as a tool for self-defense, they're looking at it as a tool to get money or to get payback or to get out of this life or whatever. Now, I would say a good, you know, kind of resting spot or place to end would be that it seems like we were able to agree that, you know, training is good. So, you know, people use it. Well, really? Yes. Hey, we got to start baby steps. No, no, no. Training, <laughs> training is, training keeps me in business. So yeah. training is very good. <laughs> training, I mean, like in, you know, with, it's too bad that you feel that like the second amendment advocates feel like they have no voice. I feel like, you know, like with the NRA and stuff, if they're all, I feel like I see them on CNN or whatever, anytime there's a big event, uh, shoot, you know, like a mass shooting or whatever. Now, maybe they should be on more or maybe they should branch out and invite people from your organization. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I would like to see. I don't like that the NRA is now suddenly the end all be all for anyone who likes guns for any reason. Well, you know what I mean? Because like it, there are a lot of gun groups out there and some people are purely about hunting some people are more about just the second minute you know what i mean like it'd be nice but to kind of hear that's some different where voices. these stereotypes come in from because the nra is not the end all be all for us i hope not um i mean you know we all have these voices but the problem is so many times i've had or i've read articles where my friend's words were twisted cut pieced back together and to make it seem like, and I know for a fact that that was something that they did not say, mm-hmm. because especially in um, recorded audio and stuff like that, you're. I heard the live audio because we've learned to actually sit there with recorders and mm-hmm. record what we yeah. do say because sometimes these things have come so far backwards from sure. for us, and even in interviews and stuff like that that end up getting up, getting put in print, they cut bits and pieces to kind of paint us in a certain light Mm -hmm. so last year actually this past september i participated in a project with time magazine Mm -hmm. and um in november i was featured on the cover of time magazine along with 240 other um pro second amendment and anti anti second amendment about our stances and they had reached out to the to a lot of other major major two-way gun organizations and um they didn't want any part of it mm-hmm. because we we have this experience. So that's what 
that's where the mindset comes from. We've had experience where it usually is negative and we we don't want to kind of we kind of like to stay where we know we're going to be OK. Same, right. right. So parts I, that's that's I think that's human nature. I think what we can work to do is because it's also easy for me to sit here and have someone who's whatever that lady, whoever <laughs> that lady was on here just to talk about how much she hates guns. But like, again, we have to find. Because one thing we can agree on is that whether it's 40,000 guns or 10 uh, gun related deaths, you know, you know, it'd be great to get a handle on that. And whether whatever suggestions we might have, we should be able to have a dialogue about them. Right. And and I agree. And that was the purpose of Time Magazine. Actually, it it, along with the cover, there is also a website portion that was dedicated to it where we all got to speak and kind of tell our stories. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't in an interview setting. So when I walked into the recording studio to go speak, I was expecting to have answer, uh, questions or prompted or how do you feel about this? And tech guy sat there with the microphone, goes, whenever you're ready, just let me know, just start talking. I'm like, talk about mm -hmm. what? He goes, just talk was about that good? your you story. Like that? I loved it okay. because that was the first time that I can remember in major mainstream media mm -hmm. that we all had a, an unfiltered voice. We were all able to just talk about how we felt, why it was important to us, and not feel like we were under the pressure on constant defense. Right. Because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, this we're the only ones that it happens to. We know it, it happens on all sides of the spectrum, you know? So someone who's anti-2A is never going to sit and do an interview with NRA TV because... <laughs> They know what's going to happen. And then somebody from NRATV may not ever go on, you know, a mainstream media where they know they're going to get attacked because mm -hmm. we know we're not going to get our voices heard that way. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have a fair shot at speaking about what we want to talk about. And it's happening so much more often in in situations like this one where we are able to just have a conversation about it that doesn't end in, well, you're crazy and you're some God-fearing, right. gun-loving nut. Right, so, right. you know. Well, one thing I would say though, is that, like, I I don't consider myself anti-Second Amendment. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there. Because, like, I mean, because I do feel like I've made cases, you know, when especially after certain events, like, I will come out and feel very strongly about, you know, making limits and blah, blah, blah. But I've never felt like, you know, and I think I said that at the very beginning, like, that the second amendment is not going away and I've never even, it's not even something I've thought about. Do you know what I mean? Right. Which is a good thing to remember just because now I'm only talking for me. I can't speak for maybe other people do want to abolish it, but like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> but you know, like I think that it is good to know that there are some nuts like me on the other side that, you know, at least aren't coming from it from that, that angle. Do you know what I mean? And I right. don't, and I, when I see people like you, you know, I think, you know, if only everyone who had a gun would think this way in terms of like, you know, tr seeking training and constant education and stuff like that. But the sad fact is most people, they don't, I mean, first of all, they don't think they need it. And second of all, most they don't have the time. Are, what do you mean? But I mean? Well, I mean, most people that commit the stuff that we hear. Well, about. but, the, but then again, like they don't represent gun ownership. Right. Which is why I would think that you guys should want to, 
which we do. Right. But again, like we we have to come to the root of that problem to solve the to solve the right. problem. I wish we had enough time to figure <laughs> that, that out tonight. But I do feel like this has been a good start for the rest of the world. <laughs> but no, it really I mean yeah, an example no, of like cuz that's that is cuz God knows we see it all the time that it's just like it looks like there's just an impasse. One person or one group thinks this, the other thinks something totally different and it just like Right. And it's like what you know whether it's Republican Democrat gun pro versus gun anti you, like we live in this country we have to come to some right. kind of agreement. Right. It's like you know the husband and the wife I I throw this out there like uh or you're arguing with your spouse like when has an argument screaming at each other ever solved anything. Right. It's normally not until everybody cools down and then like you're getting into bed later and you're just like all right so I'm sorry. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Exactly. And, and you talk about it and then you come to a solution about it. And then hopefully it doesn't, if you talk about it properly, it doesn't happen again. Right. So it's like, all right, let's all be adults here and yes. we're done screaming at each other. We're done throwing a tantrum. So now let's sit and have a civil conversation like this one. We could still get emotional about it without, but being able to properly articulate how we're feeling. Yes is what's important. Right. And when either of us are on the defense, that doesn't happen. And, and seeing things from the other person's point of view. Right. You know, yeah. Even if it's something that you think, oh, I could never see it that way. Well, that's not the point. You don't have to see it that way. You have to see how they see it that way. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Right. You got to stand in somebody else's shoes. Exactly. Walk yes. a mile in their shoes. <laughs> Anyways, well, thanks so much for coming in. I really do appreciate it. I know it was a, it's late and you took the time to come in all the way from Staten Island. Uh, we've been talking to Lauren Hartnett. She is the founder of girlsgotagun.org and an NRA certified firearms instructor and a competitive shooter, right? Um, dabbling. Oh, I'm yeah? Try yeah, I'm trying it out. <laughs> well, we wish <laughs> trying you to see how good I get. The best of luck in that. Uh, anyway, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and say goodnight. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn.